Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Hey, well, good morning, Destiny Church again. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. Just get the opportunity to preach the Word of God to you. You know, Pastor Chad said I had the chance to preach this morning, and it was online, so I'm like, that's a pretty sly move by a lead pastor to let a first-time communicator speak only online because if you like, if this is bad, somebody else can just do it. He can cut it out. So I'm like, but again, I am so excited just to be here and share the word of God with you. And again, so thankful for Pastor Chad and Pastor Tasha's leadership, uh, not only to me and Mariah, but for the church in general. So we are truly grateful for everything they do. But again, I'm here uh, closing out the end of Ephesians series in chapter six. And when I was preparing for this, the first thing that came to my mind was the story or the movie, The Patriot with Mel Gibson. If you haven't seen the movie, it's a great movie. It was the only movie when I was younger that I could watch that was rated R. It was awesome, one of my favorite movies. If you recall the movie, at the beginning, the British are coming in, Mel Gibson's at his house, he's got his family there. Seems like a great life. But then the evil day comes. The British come in, They burn his house down, light it on fire, take one of his sons, kill one of his sons. The evil days upon Mel Gibson. What does he do next? If you remember what happens next, he goes in the burning house, opens up the treasure chest, gets all his weapons, grabs his two younger sons, gets them all ready to go. We're going to save our oldest son who was in the military. So again, my favorite scene of the movie happens next there in the woods. The favorite quote, too, is he's talking to his two younger sons. He goes, hey, what did I teach you? Aim small, miss small. So he tells them, get in position to start capping off all the British officers at the front. Then Mel Gibson comes in with his two hatchets, takes all the British out, saves the day. Why do I tell you that story, that part of the movie? Because I think it paints a great picture of what's happening in Ephesians 6. When Paul's writing to us, or writing to the church of Ephesus, what happens here is Mel Gibson and evil days come come upon him. He did not ask for this evil day. He did not do anything to make this evil day come upon him. But all he could do is react to it. And how he reacted to it would change the future of the way things went. How he reacted to it would change his future. So in Ephesians 6, we're looking at spiritual warfare. And when that evil day comes on us, how do we react to that? Mel Gibson didn't ask for it, but it was the way he responded. So I want to ask you guys a question when starting this sermon. Are you armed and are you ready? Are you armed and are you ready? That's a powerful question when talking about spiritual warfare because We're in a war. We're in a battle. You know, when you first got saved, you might have thought that Christianity was just Starbucks and Chick-fil-A from walking distance to one another, and there was no problems. God had it all. We were all good. But in reality, there's a war going on, a spiritual battle. And are you armed and are you ready? Are you ready to fight? Are you ready to stand firm on what God has given you to equip yourself with? Are you ready for that? So are you armed and are you ready? So Paul starts in Ephesians 6 
He's going to give us some spiritual armor that we should wear because there's a spiritual enemy. Because we need supernatural power. When we read in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm. Why is he saying stand firm? It's a reminder. A reminder that we're in a battle. We're in a supernatural battle. Be aware of that. Stand firm. So we're starting in verse 10. It'll be on the screen for you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength, in his might. You see, I love this. Paul's like, hey, we're starting here, but let me knock you off your high horse. These battles, this spiritual warfare I'm talking about, you can't do it on your own. You can't do enough push-ups. You can't know enough stuff. But it's only God's strength, God's might that can get you to stand firm in these spiritual warfare. So Paul comes with punches really quick. Hey, remember, this is in God's strength, in his power. That's where the supernatural power comes from. So remember that this morning. There's not anything you can do, not enough strength you can have, but just submit to God's power and stand firm in that. We go on to verse 11 and 12, and it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. So what is Paul doing right here in verses 11 and 12? He's telling us who we are fighting against. You know, that's the first thing we want to identify when we're talking about spiritual warfare. Who are we fighting against? When I was looking at that and studying who are we fighting against, what I noticed that everything visible, what we can see, is preceded by something invisible. What what am I saying is there's a cause and effect here. Most of the time, we only see the effect which is visible, but the cause of that actual thing is invisible. And that's that spiritual, demonic force that Paul's referring to. You see, I've seen this a lot. My mom's a teacher, and me and Mariah in student ministry. What happens is, is you'll hear parents especially say, oh, that kid, it's just, he's just hard-headed, or he's just growing up, or he's becoming an adult. But you see, the thing is there, some of that is true. But I think we miss and forget what Paul's writing here is there's actually a spiritual battle going on in that person. They're having a spiritual battle in themselves. And what is happening is this battle between, hey, what should I do? Where should I go? Who should I listen to? It's not just something they're going through, but it's a spiritual battle. And we need to recognize the significance of there's spiritual warfare going on. It's not just life, but it's a spiritual aspect that is happening. And what I think we've done in this culture is we have one side that says, oh, everything is spiritual. Like if one bad thing happens, if you stub your toe, you say it was the devil. And then we have the other side of the spectrum that says nothing's spiritual. It's all just life. But there is a spiritual aspect of this war that's going on. And we need to recognize that. You see, the spiritual aspect of things is the root 
And all we really see is the visible fruit. And so if we don't recognize this, we'll never have the authority and the power in the spiritual warfare because all we'll ever look at is the fruit and never recognize the root. And when we try to just go after the fruit, we'll knock out fruit, knock out fruit, but we will never get a hold of the root and have authority over that. So my challenge to you guys this morning is take a hold, recognize the root, and spend less time on the fruit. Recognize and have authority over the root, and you won't have to spend so much time on the fruit. So we go on to verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Again, stand firm. We're in a battle. This is not a cakewalk. We're in a battle. So Paul, he opens it up. We know who we're battling against now. What do we battle with? What do we stand firm with? And that is spiritual armor that God's talking about. The armor of God. Maybe you've heard about it in Sunday school or in kids' class growing up. But when we look at the first three aspects of the armor of God, there are six in all, but the first three are to be. What to be means? It's a state of being. It's a state of who you are. And then the second three is to take. So it's a on-need basis. The easiest way to explain this is it's like a baseball player. The 2B is the jersey. It's the state of who you are, where you are at. But the two-take idea is the baseball glove and the baseball bat. You're never going to go up to bat with the baseball glove, and you're never going to go to the field with the baseball bat. There are specific times where you need specific pieces of spiritual armor, and that's what Paul's referring to here. So we have these six pieces how do we use them? We look back in verse 13, and we need this armor to withstand in the evil day. What is that evil day? That evil day, when I first thought of it, I'm like, oh, it's the rapture. It's when all hell breaks loose in the world. But no, simply, the evil day is when the enemy comes and throws all his power at you and tries to destroy your life and tries to take things in your life and tries to take everything away from you. That's what that evil day is for you. So you might feel like your evil day is upon you right now. You might feel like the devil or the enemy is attacking your finances, your marriage, your family, your job. That evil day, however the enemy is attacking you, that evil day might be upon you in so many different ways, especially this year with all we've done and been through. So. That evil day is what we're supposed to stand against with the armor of God. So we've laid the foundation now. So what is the armor of God? How does it work? What's the purpose of it? So, so here's how this works. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says that God, when he saved us, he raised us to heavenly places. So now we're in two places at once, believe it or not. But then we go on to look in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. And what it says is that God shows his glory in one way through the church, but he shows his glory and power through the church into heavenly places, into spiritual principalities, good and bad. So good angels, the devil, whoever it may be. So, 
So what is the significance to the armor of God in that? So God in his power, when he has made us alive, he has seated us up in heavenly places. And so God shows his power through the church. So maybe you're saying, hey, why don't I see God moving? I would rather you ask the question, am I standing firm in the spiritual armor he's told me to equip myself with so he can show his glory and power through the church into spiritual places and win the war with authority in those spiritual places? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. It's not about God in that sense. He's, he's good. It's us that we need to check. So we look at that in those two verses previously in Ephesians of why the armor of God is significant. So we're in here on earth, but we're battling up there in a spiritual heavenly places. So we go on to verse 14, the first aspect of the armor of God. And it says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. What truth? What is truth? Truth is simply this, God's opinion on any and every subject in this whole world. It's God's opinion. It's God's view on it. You say, well, that's confusing to me because we live in a world where, um, let's see here, there's no absolute truth according to culture. Everybody thinks truth is only specific in certain ways. How does that work? So you're telling me I need to stand firm in an absolute truth that nobody else in this culture recognizes or accepts? How does that work? So here, here, here's how it works. So truth is different than facts. Truth is different than facts. So, for example, I have a headache. I have a headache. The fact is your head hurts. You go to the doctor. You get some Tylenol over-the-counter medication. I have a head. It's still not going away. Get more tests. Comes find out you have a brain tumor. The facts were your head hurt. That's the fact. But the truth is the tumor was causing the headache. And so when we only try to address the facts and not the truth, we will try to medicate the facts with insufficient medication that will never get us to the truth and fix the truth and stand firm in the truth. In 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. Abraham Lincoln. He signed that into effect, a great day in our country. But in Texas, you know, there was no Instagram to go and put that on your story and be like, hey, let's go. This was signed by Abe Lincoln or a text message or a tweet. There was none of that. So the truth was the proclamation was signed. But in Texas, the slaves were still living in bondage because they had not realized and embraced the truth. You say, why, why do you tell me that? You see, the truth was it took two year, almost two years for the slaves in Texas to recognize the truth. So the truth was there, but it was not their truth. So the truth will never set you free. It's the truth that you know that will set you free. The truth that you know will set you free. And if you don't know the truth, even if it's there, you'll still live in bondage like it happened in Texas. So it's the truth that you know that will set you free. 
Why is this crucial in spiritual warfare truth? It's crucial in spiritual warfare because the enemy is a liar. He's a liar. He deceives. So we need to stand firm in truth. I think that's what the devil's trying to do in culture today is he's trying to shape truth. He's trying to get around truth. He's trying to deceive you because when you stand in truth, it's the, it's the basis of winning in sport, spiritual warfare. And so I think when we look at Genesis, in Genesis 1 specifically, we constantly hear Yahweh, Elohim, Yahweh, Elohim, Lord God, Yahweh, Elohim. And then when Eve and the devil have their interaction in the garden, he says, let's talk about God. But he leaves out Lord because, hey, I'll keep religion here, but I don't want God's authority over it. And those facts, as we see in the New Testament too with the um, Pharisees, and then even today, all they're about is facts. And when you just follow facts and not get to the truth, you'll get stuck in religion like Eve did, like many others in Scripture and even today do. They get stuck in religion and they don't get to the truth because the truth is way more than do this, do that, don't do that. The truth is that there is an almighty God that loves you, that rules and reigns over all. That's the truth. So the truth sets the tone. We continue in verse 14. In the next aspect of the armor, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So truth is the standard. It tells us right from wrong. But righteousness, how, how does that connect? Righteousness is the next step in truth. When we're in the right position, we know where to walk. Psalm 106 says, how blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness all the times. So God blesses you for your righteousness. When you walk righteously, he blesses you, not in ways that you believe you would think you'd be blessed, but he blesses you in a spiritual way. He blesses you. It also tells us in John 22, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey and do the things that please him. How do we put on the breastplate every day? A few simple ways is grounded in the word, believing and reading the word, and also asking for the spirit to lead and direct you. It's two simple ways. How do I put on that breastplate of righteousness every day? Read the word, ask the spirit to lead you. Because that's what righteousness is when we look at 1 John. Doing what pleases God. Doing the law, what he's called us to do. Following that. We cannot live righteousness, though, without truth. So then we get to the third part of the armor of God, and it's 2B. We're talking about now in verse 15, the gospel of peace. And it says, and so as shoes for the feet have put on the readiness given by the gospel, given by the gospel of peace. So peace, how, how do we know if we're living in peace? How do we know if we're right in the right direction? Do we feel a peace? I think what God does is when we are in truth, walking righteously, those steps will always be confirmed by peace. 
So wherever you're walking at in life right now and you're worried about anything, you can always count on God confirming your steps by peace. And biblical peace is simply this. It's not how nice things are or how pretty things are, but it's when hell breaks loose and you're in a spiritual battle and you can still sing and praise him. That's biblical peace. That no matter what, God's on the throne and I'm gonna praise him. That's biblical peace. That biblical, biblical peace will set you apart from others and set you apart so you can fight these spiritual battles. This spiritual peace, this biblical peace, confirms your footsteps. It confirms where you're going and standing firm in these spiritual battles. We go on to verse 16, and we're talking about the next aspect of the armor of God. And now we're um, looking here at the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with you, which can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. You know, I know for me, faith is very confusing. I don't understand faith sometimes. It's like one of these principles I don't know how to grasp. But faith is simply this. I'm gonna try to explain it. Uh, Tony, Dr. Tony Evans says it this way. Faith is believing it is so, even if it is not so, that it will be so because God said so. Let me say that one more time. Faith is believing it is so, even if it is not so, that it will be so because God said so. So that's faith. That's faith. I know with faith, I think sometimes it's like guessing or believing something. But when I'm in spiritual battle, and if I'm in a battle specifically, I want to know that where I'm at, where I'm going, where I'm standing is going to be the right place. I want to know it. I don't want to guess it, because if I guess, I think I'm going to die. I'm going to be in the wrong spot. I want to know it. So when I'm in war, I want to know that where I am, believing in faith, God's called me to stand firm there. But what I notice, when we're looking at faith, faith is talked about after talking about the feet and walking in the gospel of peace. What's the significance of that? When we look in Hebrews 11, in the whole Old Testament too, the heroes of the faith, they were heroes of faith, not because of who they were, what they said, but simply because of what they did. So how do you measure faith? How do you measure faith? If you are rooted in truth, walking righteously, confirmed by peace, that's how you measure faith. What are those footsteps? Those feet that I'm walking, ah, that's my faith. That's how I can see if I'm becoming stronger, and faith. That's how faith works. So when we're talking about faith, he also talks about flaming darts. Flaming darts. Why does that matter here in spiritual warfare? You know, what I thought about is any Western movie, if you've seen Cowboys versus Indians, the Cowboys are going with their carriage, trucking along, and then Indians come along. Indians got their bow and arrows. Cowboys got the guns. The Cowboys are going to win because they have guns. They're going to take the bow and arrow out. It's simple. But what, what happens here is there's always that one Indian that he'll take his dart, dip it in oil, light it on fire, and he won't just shoot a cowboy because a dart will kill a cowboy just as good as a fiery dart. But it'll hit the carriage because what the Indian knows is I need a distraction. 
because the cowboy cannot maintain a fire and stop from dying from an Indian. It's a distraction. Why is that significant with faith? Because faith is simply focus on God. Faith it has a lot to do with your focus. If we look at Peter in the New Testament when walking on water, all Peter had to do was focus on God. So faith has so much to do with focusing on God and ignoring and avoiding the distractions that the enemy tries to bring upon you. So your faith can easily be weakened when you get distracted instead of focused on God. Faith has so much to do with focus. We go into verse 17. We're looking here at the helmet of salvation. The first part of verse 17 says, take up the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? Helmet of salvation. What is that? Simply the helmet of salvation is when we put that on, when God saves us, when he renews us, when we see the riches that are in him, we looked back earlier in Ephesians, the riches that are in Christ Jesus, that we are a new creation. Since we've seen that, since we've experienced those riches, we need a soul transformation. That's what that helmet of salvation does. It's a soul transformation that we need because we've seen there's something greater. We need that soul transformation. You must have a soul transformation when you put on that helmet of salvation. And what that does is if everything falls apart, if you feel like you've lost the war, if you feel like you lost the battle, if you have the helmet of salvation, it simply says you have the hope that you will be saved. And if you have the hope that you will be saved, that's all you'll ever need. You might think you need more things in life, but the hope that you will be saved, raised up, seated in heavenly places, if you have that hope, that's all you'll ever need. The hope of salvation, the helmet of salvation. So when we continue here, the last part of the spiritual armor, the sword of the Holy Spirit. It says, in the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the word of God. So what I noticed here is, this is the only offensive weapon. I like offense. I want some more weapons. I need something in my arsenal, not just a sword. What are you doing, God? I like offense. I know if you're a Chiefs fan, you like offense too, because that's the only way you'll ever win a game. I like offense. Other people like offense. Why is this the only aspect of offense in the spiritual battle? Why? When it says the sword of the spirit, the word of God, what that word, word of God, is rima. What rima means, it's an utterance. It's a blurting out. It's a speaking. Why is that significant as a, as a tool for use to use on the offense of power? Why is that significant? If we look back, I believe it's John chapter 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. What does he do in response? What does he do when he's tempted? He simply makes an utterance of the word of God. He stands firm in the word of God and says it to the devil. That's all he does. He doesn't need anything else but the word of God, Rima, an utterance of Why is that significant? Because the devil is allergic to the word of God. So that speaks this morning to the power in your words 
when you're in a spiritual battle? What are you speaking over your battle? What are you speaking over that? Is it something that I'm defeated? I'm not good enough. It won't get better. Are you speaking the word of God that says I am more than a conqueror? I'm more than what the world says about me, but I am a child of God and he has given me the strength to overcome anything that will come in my way. What are you speaking over your battle? What are you speaking? Because the significance of the words you are saying will change the outcome of your battle. It'll change it significantly. So don't discount the words you speak. So when we have these six pieces of armor, what it does when we use them all together, you will start to operate in heavenly places with authority. As I close this morning, we end with verse 18. We have the six pieces of armor but it's closed up and summed up in something specific. What is that specific thing? Prayer. Prayer. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making the supplication to all the saints. So what does that prayer do? It brings it all together. How does it bring it all together? Because our armor is nothing without a source, without a source. So prayer is the source that we plug into God so God will encourage us and initiate us to put on the armor of God. So without the power source, this armor is nothing and that power source is prayer. That power source is prayer. Prayer is simply something on earth that we're asking for heavenly intervention. So what earthly request for heavenly intervention, for God to come down and do the miraculous. That's what prayer is. And the significance of this is praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So that's not just one type of prayer, one certain prayer. That might be a prayer of worship when we're on Sunday morning. It might be a prayer in your car. It might be a prayer of lament. It might be a prayer of worship, of praise. It might be a prayer in need. Whatever that prayer is, it might be a prayer in a heavenly language of speaking in tongues. Whatever that prayer is in that moment, that prayer is significant to put on the armor of God because it brings it all together. That prayer is powerful. That prayer in the spirit, it's not a prayer that you can just sum up on your own or, or bring up on your own, but it's a prayer initiated by the spirit of the living God that's living in you. And it needs to be initiated through submission to the Holy Spirit. It says praying at all times. Like what? Am I supposed to pray all the time? What that word actually means is opportune times. Times of opportunity, good times. Never discount times of opportunity when you need to be in prayer for someone else that cannot put on their armor of God for themselves. And only that time when you don't miss that situation will be when you're in submission to the Holy Spirit that will only speak that through you because it's nothing that you can come up on your own, but it's through the Holy Spirit that speaks it through you. So don't miss those opportune times where God will stand firm and help you stand firm in that battle, in that opportune time, maybe for someone else. Don't discount you putting on your armor for someone else. Don't discount you standing firm for someone else. Don't discount that. You're battling, not for yourself, for your family. 
for your worker, co-workers, for your job, for the church. You're battling. This is a spiritual battle. You're battling for him. Stand firm in that. Put on the armor of God. All prayers, all times, all saints. All prayers, all times, all saints. So as I close this morning, you've been made aware of the armor of God. So it's a simple question. You have two ways to go. You can stay on the way of, no, I'm comfortable. I'll stick to the fruit. Yeah, it'll keep coming up, but it's okay. I I think I can handle it. And I don't really want to walk in faith. And peace, whatever. Am I getting distracted? I'll be comfortable with where I'm at. Or are you going to put on the armor of God? Because when you put on the armor of God, you'll start to operate with authority in spiritual realms and the heavenly places with authority that will bring you power on this earth to spread the gospel, to build up God's name, to glorify him. When you put on that armor of God, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Don't be defeated this morning. Don't live in shame. Put on the armor of God. Stand firm and live with authority. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time in the morning, Lord. I know that we're not all together, but you are in every living room, every car, every job, wherever that's at. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to spread your word, to be built up in your word. Lord, I pray that we would not discount the significance of the spiritual armor, that we would put it on every day so we can stand firm and live with authority. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.